welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for being with us here on the program as we give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Uh, we are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We are streaming live as well at richarddugan.com. And we also want to include our special edition of Tell Me Your Story, which is heard on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. on this fine station. The podcasts are um, expanding exponentially. I can't list them all because there are about 20 or 30 of them. Uh, but uh, we are uh, on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, iHeart, and many other locations. And uh, we are encouraging you to go to those locations, or you just go to the Richard Dugan's homepage where you will see the SoundCloud uh, embedded players for each year's programs. And uh, we are also on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. And I hope that you will take an advantage. Subscribe either to the podcast or videocast. We hope that you will do that. We also hope that you will participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s, where we're encouraging you to spend some time in a quiet, peaceful place, listening to that still, small voice and uh, getting the intuition that uh, will guide you along their way. Each hour of each day, of each month, of each year, I uh, do my best to uh, listen to those promptings and follow them because they have never led me astray. Only when I don't listen do I go astray. So uh, it seems to me a, a good rule of thumb. And if these programs resonate with you, you like the guests we're bringing your way, we hope that you do. We hope you'll also support us financially. We have a PayPal and Patreon account for your security as well as ours. Any amount is greatly appreciated. We'll even take energetic support, uh, so please do what you can. Our program today, I think you're going to enjoy. It is not only about a book, but a movie that is going to be available in the not-too-distant future. We're going to be talking with uh, a gentleman who is involved in this particular uh, venture. It's called The Way of Miracles, uh, as Accessing Your Super Consciousness. Mark uh, Mincola is my guest, Ph.D., and we thank you so much for being with us here on the program and sharing this time and all of this great information about uh, the work of The Way of Miracles. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. We've, we've done a number of programs uh, on uh, different films that have been released down through the years and the 14 years we've been doing this program. And, of course, yours is, is the latest. Uh, first of all, a Ph.D., your, your expertise is in? I've actually been practicing nutritional therapy for 37 years, 60,000 appointments, and had some remarkable experiences that are truly miracle experiences, great recoveries from terminal illnesses, cancer, heart disease, things like that. We decided we wanted to tell the story both in film and book. Miracles were, were possible in my life. They've happened. They happen with great regularity. And we want to share the, the reality that miracles are part of real life and they're, cap they're, they're something that they can be reached by everybody, touched by everybody. All right, so let's, uh, let's do what we like to do on this program quite often. We like to define our terms. So what is a miracle? Miracle is, is an event it's unexpected. It has remarkable results that are that are in many cases thought of as divine. 
So, in other words, if somebody, I'll give you an example. In the, in the film, the movie is available right now, by the way. It's at, people can go to thewaymiracles.com and they can actually access the film. Thewaymiracles.com is up and running, so they can check that out. But we've had stories in the film and in the book, too. But there's a woman that had a, a tumor the size of a large golf ball in the front of her prefrontal cortex. She had it surgically removed, and two months later, the, the tumor grew back exactly as it was before. She decided she couldn't go through any more any, any more brain surgeries. There's, that was out of the question for her. So she hoped that I could help her, and I worked with her really hard for, for five months. And in five months' time, the, the tumor vanished, and we worked hard to make that happen, nutritionally, biochemically, supplement-wise. But nonetheless, it was a true miracle. It's been nine years since that she's been tumor-free right now. She tells her story in the film. That's an example of a miracle. That's an example of what we're talking about. That's an example of the kind of thing that we, we experience quite regularly in our work. And of course, and I've, I've seen the film, and uh, it is is quite remarkable. The one uh, area that we get into when we start talking about health and wellness and so forth uh, is the question, again, of defining terms. Uh, and uh, the, the subject always comes up, uh, the subject of healing. So I'm a Reiki master. Uh, as I was taught, my intent is irrelevant other than to send the healing energy, if you will, to the individual or, or, uh, or event uh, and allow it to be used in the way that it is to be used, not the way I want it to be used. So let's define the concept of healing here. What, what in your estimation, in light of miracles, as you've described them, is healing? Well, number one, I think that we have four possibilities when it comes to miracles. We can reject them. We can accept them. We can expect them. And we can create them. So for that to happen, for us to have the power to create, we need to begin with the understanding that there's a delineation of self. Human beings have two different, distinctly unique properties. They have a mortal self and an immortal self. They have a, a mortal self that's not capable of producing the kind of energetic, remarkable effects that, that our, our immortal self has, that it has access to. So the soul, the source, the higher self, the higher spirit has the capacity to, to, to create miracles. I don't think our, our moral self has that capacity. So it's it's something that I believe that we need to consider as, as a possibility for all of us to elevate our, our consciousness, so to speak, to elevate our, our frequency, our, our, our field of energy, our, our vibrations, to increase the vibrational response of our energy field, our consciousness, and our intent. And I think that's by, by elevating our, our, our awareness, by elevating our potential as human beings, I think we're capable of Touching upon miracles. Now, this move, this is a movie and book combination that uh, people can uh, certainly get copies of of both of them, or I, again, watching the movie at thewayofmiracles.com. That is the website, folks, that you want to check out. Thewayofmiracles.com, uh, a best health awareness film of 2021. It's won a number of awards. And uh, you can order it as well as the book. Um, when did you begin the process uh, for yourself of uh, entering uh, the field of health and wellness or medicine, 
uh, how, how long ago was was that? Was there a particular moment in your life, in your early years, where you said, "This is, this is what I need to be doing"? There was, there was, Richard. There, my 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 older brother, back in 1972, my older brother had. I was a young college student at the time. My older brother had a heart attack at age 35. And I was stunned to think that my brother at 35 years old could have a heart attack. It was just a mind-blowing experience for me. I couldn't wrap my head around it in any way, shape, or form. But I came to find out that his heart attack was the result of diet, nutrition, hypolipoproteinemia, a lot of cholesterol, a lot of triglycerides, blood fats, if you will, factoring a time when we weren't all that familiar with the heart disease food connection. We were just beginning to, to make that connection. And certainly in our life, in our family situation, we have, we're all making that that's, that connection was just, it was a powerful experience to say the least. But I remember thinking to myself, I would do anything to help my brother. He had open heart surgery and I just worked really hard to read whatever I could read, reference library, spent the time studying nutrition, studying as best I could to try to, to, try to help my brother specifically. And sure enough, I, I massed enough information to, to counsel him, to work with him and to help him change his diet and to inspire him to, to walk the straight and narrow path with food. And it made a difference in his life. He, he got much healthier. He did very well. And um, long story short, I guess, is that that was my turnaround point. It was my aha moment. I decided at that point that I wanted to continue to do that. And that the experience of saving a life with nutrition and food was something that turned me on at that point. And that, 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 that got me off running. Well, I have to say that uh, it sounds like you're now you're older or younger brother. Are you the older or younger brother? I'm the younger brother. He's the, he's the older brother. Uh, you know, that's that's usually it's the other way around. The older brother is there to help the younger brother. Uh, but uh, and I have to say that uh, my brother and I, I have one younger brother. Um, you know, we, we haven't played, been in a, a great deal of contact. But by the same token, as far as I'm aware, he's in great health. I consider myself in great health. But one of the things that you talk about in the way of miracles has to do with the fact that we all are healers, specifically and first and foremost, of self. What has, what is it in your experience, what is it that we have been told as individuals, let alone as a society, uh, even maybe even globally for that matter, uh, that has basically disconnected us from that message that we have always had the capacity to heal self. Well, I think the world and the way the world has programmed many people, uh, culturally speaking, is to vacate the idea of being a self-healer or even self-love, I think so, it probably starts with self-love. I think that it, it's, it's frowned on. Like the, the concept of loving oneself has just become spiritually uh, positive in, in recent years. I think when I was a young kid growing up, the, the thought of loving yourself came across as a very egotistical kind of concept. And I think to heal yourself, you gotta love yourself. And to love yourself, you have to get over the, the cultural uh, block of the, that was instituted back in, back in the old days. I think that it begins with self-love. I think it begins with tapping into the authenticity of soul and source and tapping into the, the, the part of us that is the central 
nature of our being, which is our source, our soul. And we're not asking anybody to love their egos. Egos aren't, aren't much worth loving. Uh, they make mistakes. They get us in all kinds of problems, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that we have to realize we're, there's a duality when it comes to human, human, the human experience. The duality includes a sacred divine self. And I think to love that self is the beginning of being able to, to heal yourself and to really consider yourself worthy of your own love and care. Well, that ties into our uh, statement at the beginning of the program about spending time going within. And uh, as I've reemphasized this over the over the years, last few years, um, getting to know self. Now, for some people, that is a very difficult and challenging endeavor because they've got a lot of stuff that has built up uh, from, well, from child, uh, childhood on. How, how do you encourage people? What do you say or do or how do you mentor or facilitate somebody uh, beginning the process of getting to know self in such a way that it becomes, it becomes a catalyst for their self-healing? Oh, I mentioned there's, there's a section in the book where I actually had the reader go to a mirror and to look in the, in, the, in the core center of their eyes, of their own eyes, for 10 minutes. I mean, you have probably less than 1% of the human population that's ever done that. And we're looking at everybody else's eyes, looking at everything else and everybody else. We don't look in our own eyes, in the, in the center of our own eyes. 10 minutes. You're going to have a very different feeling about yourself and about life if you take, take 10 minutes to look in, your, in the core center of your eyes. I think it's an important exercise, and I think it's designed to awaken people to, to their essence, to their isness, to their, their basic fundamental presence, to their pure presence. So I think that if you tap into the presence and you're looking in your own eyes in a quiet moment, you're going to feel the soul. You're going to sense the soul. You're going to sense a deeper self, a deeper being. And I think that it, it begins the process, initiates a process of awakening to the essence of self in a way that actually compels a greater love, a greater understanding, a greater respect, a greater care, a greater compassion. So I think it's really important to make that connection. In your, in your, uh, in your mind, what is the difference between one's intuition and our subconscious mind? Because that's a, a big area that you, you talk about in the book and the movie. I think that the subconscious mind, first of all, the conscious mind is capable of processing 2,000 bits of information per second. The conscious mind is pretty powerful. The, the subconscious mind, 400 billion, 400 billion bits of information per second. That's so incredibly in-depth and detailed. But I say that the subconscious mind forgets a lot of negative stuff. So it, it has a greater potential to be imbued, excited by, energized by all that it remembers. That's the unconscious mind forgets the negative stuff, uh, the, the, it forgets a lot of stuff, negative and positive. But the subconscious mind has the capacity to, to inspire itself, to, to, to take the, 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 the properties it has to remember, to, to tune in, to be aware of so much. It has the capacity to read, to understand life, to, to, to transform 
beyond the, the, the limited capability of, of learning and understanding and to, and to move into the realm of intuition and to move into the realm of super conscious mentality. You know, the idea that we have the capacity in our subconscious mind to, to go very deep into states of super consciousness, which to me is you're going beyond meditative states, you know, the alpha brainwave states, you're going into delta brainwave states below four cycles per second. And you quiet your mind to such an extent in that deeper part of your, your delta brainwave state. And there's nothing you can't do. There's, just, there's virtually nothing you can't accomplish in the realm of thought at that, at that level. So it's a, it's a matter of tapping into our higher self, our deeper self, our broader self, our, our most expanded potential for consciousness. I am aware from uh, my biology classes in high school, which go back a ways because... <laughs> I was in my teens then. I'm now uh, 61, and and so that was a while ago. But I, there's a lot I do remember, and one of those things that I remember has to do with a cell regeneration. Now, if I were to cut my hand, all right, there's going to be a, a a mark, a trench, if you will. It'll bleed a little bit, maybe, and I'll clean it up, put some Neosporin or something on it, and over the course of the next week to 10 days to two weeks it's going to regenerate those cells, maybe even to the point where I will forget and not even have any evidence that I ever cut my hand. So the cells have regenerated there. It's also been said when I was growing up that alcohol destroys brain cells, but apparently that was not correct. Now, here's my point. My left eye, I have no vision. I lost it due to glaucoma. Why is it that the eye cells are not regenerating to a healthy state, whereas my hand and that cut did? What's, what's the dynamic there? Does that have anything to do with this aspect of the way of miracles, our intuition, our subconscious, and our own personal ability to, quote-unquote, heal ourselves. That's why I asked you the definition earlier of, of the term heal. The cell regeneration is a lot of, is a lot of work. The, the, the book that comes to my mind is Rupert Sheldrake's Causative Formation. Brilliant book. But he talks about how if a boy 12 years old were to cut the end of his pinky off and grow back in total, total, exactly the way it was. Now, if somebody was 45 years old did that, they wouldn't grow back. So age has a lot to do with, with the cell regeneration and the concept of causative formation. There's many different, like I said, many different things at work. So there's certain tissues in the body that actually do regenerate. Certain tissues don't regenerate. So it depends on where it is. Like I said, the, the, the pinky will do that. Um, not all aspects of, of anatomy are, are, have that same capability. So it depends on the, the, the nature of the, the tissue itself and the age. And to some extent, it depends on the anatomy of, of the, the subject as well. But I think that the, the, the beautiful component of what, it's, what it insinuates, what it, what, it's, what it suggests for us, is that there's energy everywhere. And that we're material properties, but we're also energy. And, and, and Werner Heisenberg won the Nobel Prize in 1937 for teaching us that everything is 99.999% energy and only 00.001% matter. So we talk about energy. Energy has a capacity of transference, has a capacity of, like I said, gen exciting regeneration in, in tissue forms and things like that. 
I think we have remarkable energy that, that is capable of regenerating in a myriad of different ways. And I like to think of our energy as being potentially regenerative, spiritually, psychically, emotionally, mentally, and in deeper, deeper, deeper patterns as well. So the, the concept of regeneration is a powerful, super conscious entendre. There's no doubt about it. It, 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 it. it speaks to the nature of our capacity to regenerate, to grow, to evolve, to transform, to heal. And I think it's a huge part of our, of our super conscious capability and our, our potential. We're talking today on the program, Tell Me Your Story, with uh, uh, one of the participants. Uh, I, I might even consider him sort of the producer. He had sort of his brainchild. Mark uh, Mincola, he's a Ph.D. He's uh, dealing in medicine for many, many years. The Way of Miracles. It's a book. It's a movie. It's available at thewayofmiracles.com, where you can actually purchase a copy of the book as well as the movie and, and watch it online. Uh, one of those things that I have found, uh, uh, Mark, is that uh, I'd rather I'd rather go ahead and watch it online rather than download it and have to use up all kinds of space. I figure if somebody's got it out there, I'll just go there and watch it. I don't need to have a copy of my own. Uh, it's kind of like with music now, in spite of the fact that I still have a large number of albums, which I don't listen to. <laughs> I go to the music suppliers online. I'll pay the, the little fee or I'll get it free and listen <laughs> to some commercials. Just like radio used to be, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. and that's fine with me. I don't, I, you know, it doesn't bother me in the least. Um, this is a fascinating to me, a very interesting, uh, uh, a very interesting uh, concept because we've been talking about this for years on this program, and I've been aware of this aspect of our ourselves as healers. Uh, I've used this example many times, uh, Doctor, with that. Uh, when I was a kid, I had uh, the flu. I'll just say, I guess it was the flu. It may be a stomach bug or something. But I was laying in bed, and, and my mother and one of my sisters came in. And I was lying there, and I was moaning. And my mother uh, was asked by my sister, make him stop. He sounds, he sounds terrible. And my mother responded, and I, I, it's hard to believe that I remember this, but my mother responded, but that's how he heals himself. What about vibration? What about music or tones or things of this nature that we can incorporate into our lives uh, to, to help to, again, facilitate this process of, uh, of healing ourselves? Another, another book that comes to mind, there's a book called the, the, the Body Electric by Robert O. Becker, Dr. Robert O. Becker. And in The Body Electric, they talk about piezoelectricity piezoelectricity. So once again, they talk about the finger we talked about, the end of the, the pinky being cut off, mm -hmm. and the end of the finger growing back in a, for a 12-year-old boy. So if a 12-year-old boy, like I said, cuts off the end of his pinky, it grows back. They studied that process, and they found that there was actually a current, a piezoelectric current. And piezoelectricity actually knits the calcium plaque, the calcium bonds together, and the phosphorus bonds together. So the nutrients actually knit each other together. That knitting process, that healing process that we're talking about from cell regeneration is actually electrical. Like I said, piezoelectricity. So there's electricity that knits together our wounds. It's, it's, they further studied it when people cut themselves in the garden, just obtain a cut or have a tooth pulled or whatever, that, that the thing that actually mends the tissue is electrical current. 
So you talk about vibration. Vibration is the essence of healing. And it's, it's manifest in the material sense for piezoelectricity. Remarkable process. Hmm. And the human body, uh, at least as, it's, as it is today, uh, is, is quite a remarkable thing. Uh, I wanted to touch upon something that we, we have been going through, and hopefully we are coming to the end of this. Maybe we aren't. I, who knows? And that's, of course, the pandemic. And, and one of the arguments uh, for the, from those who uh, feel that all that we did was absolutely unnecessary and all of the things that we told people to do was at, were absolutely unnecessary and maybe even unhealthy and on and on and on uh, in terms of our immune system. But one of the th studies or, or there was a research that was done probably last July or August in New York, specifically in New York State, when they were going through the worst of it. They went through all of those people who had passed and who were listed as uh, passing from the, the virus or from underlying conditions. And it was 99% of those who had passed were due to underlying conditions. Now, the argument has been made that, well, we've been, we've been suppressing our immune systems because we've been wearing masks and isolating at home and all of these different things. And I'm sitting here and I'm going, but the majority of people didn't die because their immune, sense, their immune systems were compromised, period. They died because of other conditions that they had created through their diet and their lifestyle that made them vulnerable. So it seems to me that the population as a whole is unhealthy. And if you're unhealthy, isn't it true that then you are even more susceptible to getting even sicker and maybe even dying from whatever is out there? No question about it. I mean, there's two systems in medicine. There's intervention and prevention. We, we as a culture, I've never really emphasized prevention. We're focused on intervention. So for us, we wait until the enemy's at our door before we cast our weapons. I think it's important that we tap into the fact that if we're prepared, we're ready, and we work at, at preventing our, our ill-fated disease possibilities early on in life, we produce a far greater probability for wellness long-term. We, we tend to have the capacity immunologically to fend off problems. We have Pretty, pretty remarkable immune system. 100 million trillion lymphocytes, T cell molecules, B cell identification cells, spleen tissue molecules, things like that. We have a powerful immune system. It's incredible. I think when we take the time to, to bolster it, to support it, and we know that many antioxidants will do that. We talk about uh, free radical peroxides, oxidative stress, things like that. So, you know, we, we think about breaking down the cells. We think about things like fried foods. We think about sugars, things like that, actually minimizing breaking down our immune systems, not, not, not producing the, 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 the type of immune response that's going to keep us alive and well for, for years to come. So I think that to have the antioxidant support is to neutralize the free radical peroxides and, the, and, and to neutralize the, the uh, you know, buildup of oxidative stress in the body. Oxidative stress is the primary cause of cell degeneration, immune problems, uh, autoimmune sickness. There's 155 autoimmune diseases. 72% of which are triggered by inflammatory foods. So foods that are inflammatory, foods that have arachidonic acid, foods that have COX-2 hormones. There's a lot of nutritional support here that, that comes into play. There's a lot of prevention, a lot of nutrient support, like you said, vitamin C, vitamin E, uh, vitamin D, 
vitamin A, selenium, uh, zinc, et cetera. So these, these, these are all very important immunological components that, that support prevention, and prevention is, is key. Well, I, I have to tell this story, and I tell it every time we get into these, almost every time we get into these conversations, about the fact that I had uh, type 2 diabetes diagnosed on the 23rd of July, 2020. And actually the 24th. The 23rd was the last day I had a soda. I actually had that evening two small bottles. I always emphasize that. Two small bottles of Coke. And they were the type that has sugar. Regular sugar, cane sugar, not uh, uh, any other form. And then, of course, I go in the next day and my... By the way, like the equivalent of 16 teaspoons. Uh, yeah, well, there you go. Well, here's the thing. I go in and they check my blood sugar, 544. That was the reading, 544. Drew the blood, did the A1C, 11.2. After uh, coming out of the shock of being informed that I had diabetes... Uh, the doc was telling me that, oh, this is going to be a long road, Richard, a long road. I said, no, it's not. It's not going to be a long road because I know how I got here. The pandemic is what caused it, or better, more accurately, it was the fact that we went to comfort foods, which contain a lot of sugar and uh, carbs that, and calories that caused it. So immediately after that, my wife and I went to lunch and we ordered one of our favorites, a fried chicken sandwich. No bread, no fries, salad. No soda, I just had water. And from that point forward, we went back to the diet that we'd been on before the pandemic started, and that was healthy foods, produce, uh, from, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables, that kind of thing. Because uh, before Clean that, protein. yeah, it was processed foods. Before that, uh, you know, uh, after that, in in the in the eight weeks that she, my wife was furloughed, that's what we ate, and so when they took the A1C, I was at two seventy five to three hundred on an average for the la the previous three months. When I went in to have my A1C checked in November of first of uh, twenty twenty, five point seven. Uh. When I went back again in February of this year, five point five, and. I have kept it down ever since. I found a substitute for soft drinks, and that's the sparkling, uh, sparkling flavored waters that had no calories, no sugar, and no carbs. And it's because I like the fizz. But fortunately, I also like the flavor of these drinks. And it's one of those things that I started questioning as to, well, why is it that they're promoting these type 2 diabetes medications? It'll get your uh, A1C down to 7 I got mine down to back where it's supposed to be 5.7. And, and, and of course, I didn't even think about this. Uh, and I'm wondering how you address this with your patients in this regard. How, uh, the, the lack of willpower to do what it is that we know we can do and should do to keep ourselves healthy. Can you address that well, a little bit? I think I think. The, the two greatest motivators are pleasure and pain. Mm. So I think that when people want to look good in a bathing suit and be complimented, they're going to work a little harder than the average person if they have a vision to, to, be, to, to, to receive the pleasure of love and attention. I think pain associates, is associated with heart disease, inflammation, 
cancer, et cetera, et cetera, migraine headaches, rheumatoid arthritis. I think escaping pain is also a great motivator. So I found that the patients that I work with are generally all too willing to give up whatever they need to give up to get the, to get the job done. Mm. And I think that the, the other thing is I think that times have changed a little bit. I think in, in recent years, I mean, I've been doing this for, for over 30 years, and early on, was less attention paid to prevention and less seriousness associated with making a difference with nutrition. I think nowadays, the, the world of medicine has learned a lot about nutrition. I mean, I first started doing what I started doing, the doctors just poo-pooed it. They, did, they didn't believe in it. There's so many doctors that don't, but not, not like it used to be. I think there's more of a medical awareness, there's more consciousness, there's more general public awareness about nutrition being a difference maker. There's been more stories like ours, you know, people telling their stories about be, like your story, beating beating the diabetic condition with with healthy diet, you know, people beating cancer with a healthy diet, people losing fifty to hundred pounds, exercise and, and healthy eating and stuff like that. So I think I think we're, we're we've come a long way. I think that people are more tuned in. So there's the pleasure pain component. There's also the awareness component. I think these are different times. I think that people are becoming ever so more attuned, attuned to the fact and aware of the fact that food can make a huge difference. Food is medicine. We know that. Well, you mentioned earlier in the program about inflammatory foods, and my wife is an unbelievable researcher. She's been in the medical field for uh, probably close to 50 years, uh, working in cardiology in particular as an MA and a tech and among other uh, sundry uh, uh, item, uh, 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 titles, if you will. Uh, probably knows more than the cardiologists know. I mean, they trust her uh, to, to do things that they don't trust any other MAs or, or techs to do uh, because she knows what she's talking about. So when we started talking about inflammation, which I was having a problem with several years back, uh, I love tomatoes. I love potatoes. I love, unfortunately, a lot of the foods that have inflammatory properties to them. But she says there is a way, for example, with tomatoes, there's a way for you to have a tomato without the inflammation. And that is to cut it open and scrape out the seeds. It's, that's where the problem is, is in the seeds. And that's just one example. Uh, so it's like you say, it's, it's awareness uh, and it's uh, that pleasure-pain uh, issue that, uh, that, that we're dealing with as well. Um, when you first take on a patient... Where do you begin with them? I mean, I would venture they're coming to you for a particular condition, but what that condition is, isn't it usually a symptom of something deeper? Um, holism to me is not just a reference for, for healing and for medicine. Mm -hmm. Holism is a reference for disease. In fact, my, my contention is the perfect holism, the perfect holism is disease because it's a priori. If then, if I do this, then this is going to happen. Now we can, we, we try to mimic the efficiency of disease with healing, trying to reverse our footsteps and be logical, trying to do our detective work, asking questions about what they eat, how their emotions play out, how their stress levels are one to 10, things like that. So I think that invariably, we, we do a Q&A and we find out as much as we can doing our detective work. But ultimately what it boils down to is it boils down to the fact that people holistically get sick and people holistically heal. So the sickness component, as you, as you intimate, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, can have emotional components to it. 
as spiritual components to it, can have uh, mental components to it. It's not just the physical thing. So the physical disease is often established, rooted, germinated with, with thought. So if somebody's, if I ask somebody, what, what is your stress one to 10? They say, I have a 10 level stress. How long do you have 10 level stress? 10 years, five years, eight years. There's somebody who's has been living on the edge, wearing tear, breaking them down. You know, there, there's just a great researcher named Hans Seeley. Hans Seeley was a, is the father of modern uh, stress physiology. The idea that stress produces a physiology. And Hans Seeley did a lot of, he did 40 years of research on the chemistry of stress. Stress produces the chemistry that's not the same as stress-free chemistry. There's sympathetic chemistry, there's parasympathetic chemistry. So sympathetic chemistry is, is stress chemistry. Parasympathetic is relaxation response. They produce different immune response. They produce different cardiovascular response. They produce different pulmonary responses, completely different, 100% different. So when you think about the concept, just take digestion alone for a minute. You take the concept of digestion. If somebody's under stress, they're going to be producing sympathetic chemistry, stress chemistry, fight or flight chemistry. That's not efficiency. It's emergency. So there's two different decided pr productivities in the body. We can either produce a chemistry that's, that's efficiency-based or emergency-based, wherever the twain shall meet. Mm -hmm. So if you're producing an emergency chemistry, food goes in the body, you flush hydrochloric acid to try to flush that food out of the gut. So you don't have to run for your life or fight for your life with a stomach full of food. Not meant to be efficient, meant to be emergency-based. Normally, you take three or, three or four hours to break that food down efficiently. Enzyme activity, distribute the food and the nutrients to where they belong. Totally efficient. That requires parasympathetic, stress-free chemistry. So if you think about stress, mind-body stuff, that's what we're talking about here. Are you associated with other physicians who are of close to or like mind in terms of their approach to the health and welfare of both themselves as well as their respective patients? And is that number growing? Yes, I think yes and yes. I, I have a number of different colleagues who are medical doctors, and I think the number is growing. I, th I think that there's there are more medical doctors that are looking to practice complementary medicine than ever before. And the term complementary medicine means that they're using traditional ortho, uh, traditional um, medical, medical concepts, but they're also engaging in more contemporary holistic concepts as well. They, they integrate the two. So there's more of that happening, no question about it. Mm. We're talking with Mark Mincola, PhD, a doctor who is uh, here with us talking about his latest uh, endeavor, his latest work, The Way of Miracles, which is both a book, which is available online at thewayofmiracles.com, as well as the movie, also at the same website, uh, Accessing Your Superconscious. Uh, super consciousness, I should say, super consciousness. And uh, basically, what if there was a way to generate miracles for ourselves? Have you, doctor, experienced your own miracles, if you will, in your life? Can you share with us your experiences in that regard? On the book, I talk about miracle experience that I, that I, that I had at the beginning of the filmmaking process. You know, I met a producer of the film 
uh, about five years ago. And while we, while we started planning the film, mapping everything out, the goal was to come across six, six or seven patient stories that we, could, that we could highlight that are great stories to tell about miracle healing. And, and we found our, found our six people. Started telling the story, started organizing the film, mapping things out, like I said. And in the middle of the, of the, of the filming process, in the middle of the planning process, the pre-production process, I was bit by a Lyme tick. And, and I was suffering from neuroborrelia. I was paralyzed for the better part of two weeks from, from this attack from a Lyme tick. So I was really pretty sick by it. And the, fir the first night that I felt really, really sick by it, I, I actually collapsed on, on a bathroom floor, hit my head. I was paralyzed. I was paralyzed for the better part of two weeks. I didn't know if I'd ever walked again. So it was a pretty horrible experience. But I decided in the middle of that experience, I was on the, on the bathroom floor for 14 hours before they found me. And while I was flailing around on the bathroom floor, I, unable to move, I couldn't, couldn't move anything, couldn't move my hands, my arms, my legs, my head, nothing. And so I was lying on the bathroom floor and I decided that I needed to ask myself how I felt about the prospect of never, never being able to walk again. Did, did I want to live if I couldn't walk again? It, the question came into mind. 14 hours on that floor, I had a lot of time to think. So I asked myself, do I want to live? And I didn't have an answer for 25 minutes or so. I, I didn't have an answer. 25 minutes into it, I, I decided I was going to call out for help. And I started screaming for help to see if anybody could possibly hear me. When I screamed for help, I actually alerted myself to the fact that I cared to live. I didn't know that I was, that I was de de determined to live until I cried out for help. In that moment, crying out for help. Everything changed, and I made a made a decision at that that point in time that I was gonna I was gonna walk again. I was gonna get my strength back in. I was gonna recover 100%. I became mentally convinced that this this was my plight, and that this likely could have just happened just just to fit into this the story of miracle making, fit into the story of the, the book and the film. But that I was determined to overcome the limitations, the, the, the fear of perhaps not being able to ever walk or move again. So long story short is I worked really hard uh, at rehabilitation. I worked really hard at taking supplements, nutritional supplements, diet, et cetera. And I worked very, very hard at blended medicine at that time. And I had a complete recovery. Wow. So that was my miracle. That's, that's the first story we tell that we tell in the book is my, my unexpected miracle story. Now you say unexpected, uh, so obviously, uh, and I, I know what that means. But at the same time, I myself, I was born legally blind. I had uh, three conditions I was born with. These were all genetic uh, conditions of cataracts, nystagmus, and stigmatism. In 1996, at the age of 36, I received a lens implant uh, in my right eye, and now I'm driving. I basically, in 1995, had tried to get a driver's license just to drive a moped. Nothing more. I wasn't wanting to get in a car, just a moped. I uh, couldn't get one. So I basically said, I'm done. I'm not even going to worry about it. I, if I'm bicycling at the age of 65, that's fine with me. I'm, just, I'm going to resign myself and accept that this is the way that I am. Now, a year later, technology caught up with me, and I, I got the lens implant. A few years prior to that, uh, a doctor, I was working for a religious radio station, and I had people who came up to me and said, we want to lay hands on you and pray for your healing, the healing of your eyes. And I said no. 
And the reason I said no was I said, because that's not the reason I am here. I am here to serve you. I am here to provide you with the best quality production values and so forth, not to be healed. That is not my purpose in this life is not to be healed. Plus, I, I felt like I was doing just fine. So I suppose in a manner of speaking, modern medicine was sort of my unexpected miracle because I never even thought about it in that in that way before until it was uh, uh, broached to me by my ophthalmologist. Uh, and he was the one who said, well, there are two things we can do. One, we can wait to see if the cataracts break down. That was the issue that was happening, which I kind of thought was a little farcical because they were growing and <laughs> I was losing my vision. Uh, he says, or we can put a lens implant in and you'll have a 50-50 chance of maybe losing your sight. I says, well, then let's do it, because if I'm going to lose my sight, let's get it over with so I can start the process of adjusting. Now, some actually have said, oh, my gosh, that was a miracle. And it was a little on the unexpected side, because I never really thought about any kind of surgery to do any further correction. I figured my eyes are the way they are, and that's the way they'll be until I leave this world. Um, do you feel that a regiment of reinforcement of, say, intent, if you know what I'm kind of referring to in this regard, towards, let's say, let's say I, I made the choice, I want to see better, I, I want to see to where I can drive kind of thing, can bring about the universe kind of giving you what you want, in, in, let's say in light of the, the previous films that have been out, like, uh, uh, the secret with the law of uh, the law of attraction and so forth. Well, first of all, I I don't think the universe is a place like the galaxy or like the solar system. I think that we are the universe. Mm -hmm. I think we're 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 part of what makes up the universe, and it may, maybe the most important part. It's certainly certainly a vital part. So, because we are the universe, I think that we can actually. And interpret ourselves as very different beings. I think we can actually produce the intention of the universe by being the universe. I think we can miracles are, are, are offshoots of the, the, the universe's highest intentions. So I think that we can we can produce miracles by being the universal beings that we are. And I think elevating our like I said earlier, by elevating our consciousness, you know, I think we can we can take our consciousness to a higher level, higher frequency, higher vibration, to a to a deeper part of our to our being. Our I refer to our source. I think when we're emanating from our source, we're we're, we're the universe without any kind of obstructions, without, without any without any occlusions. You know, without any problems. Mm -hmm. I think when we can, when we can channel ourselves as universal energy without occlusions. I think we have the potential for higher, higher, remarkable outcomes, miraculous outcomes. To that end, The Way of Miracles is the title of the book and the film, the movie. It's also thewayofmiracles.com, the website. We encourage you to uh, investigate, and we always encourage you to come to the smorgasbord table, if you will, of all of the different ideas that we put forth and take what uh, resonates with you 
and then come back again later and see if something else doesn't resonate with you. We hope that you will, uh, you hope, we hope that you will do that. We're talking today, of course, with Dr. Mark Mencola. He is uh, uh, the, what would be your title? Uh, you're certainly the author of the book, but what's your connection in regards to the movie? Obviously, you're featured in it. You're a presenter in the film. Uh, are you executive, executive producer? You are the executive producer. Tell me about uh, there are two other people I'm curious about because some of the, the cinematography in there and the photographs and uh, the, the fo fo photography are very interesting. Uh, tell us about your, your producer, a writer. Uh, is it uh, Christina or Christine? Yes, that's right. It is. It's Christina Bertillo Bresson, B-R-E-S-S-N, and, and Alain Bresson, A-L-A-N, Alain Bresson. Husband and wife, and they're remarkable people. They're incredibly gifted, so talented. One of my sons actually lives out on the West Coast, and he was back east in New York several years back, and he, he met them at, at a gathering, at a party, and he knew that I was looking for somebody to, to film the, the movie that I wanted to film. And he introduced himself to them, and then he introduced us together. So he, my son actually introduced Christina, Milan, and myself. And it was perfectly designed, no question. It was kismet. Hmm. And was it, was it uh, in that context of kismet, as you, as you describe it, uh, you were all basically on that same page saying, yeah, this is, this is the modality we want to use to get the word out. Well, the amazing thing about it is she is a film producer, as we know, but she had great knowledge and great basic understanding about holistic medicine, about spirituality. I mean, she, she was the perfect, the perfect person for this project. I say the perfect person. Her, her pre-existing knowledge was so aligned with mine. And when the minute we started talking, we knew right away that we were, we were perfectly set up for this together. This is a great meeting, great, mm. great connection. It is always wonderful when uh, the synchronicity of the universe uh, comes along to uh, bring just the right people together uh, to create. And uh, that is a very exciting thing. I've, I've been privileged in my life uh, to have had that happen on numerous occasions when putting together different projects. And uh, I got to tell you, I envy you in one sense, though I've had the same kind of experiences, uh, but envy you that experience that you have had. And I'm sure it's ongoing. Is there, uh, is there another step in this process beyond the book and movie, a way of miracles? I think there is. I think that what we're considering doing is putting together some programs that are, that are like seminar programs, intensives, three-day intensives. We can take the system that this distills itself down to and to educate people and to inspire people in the systematology of bringing miracles more to the forefront of their lives so that people can actually tap into their potential to make miracles and to engage in the process necessary to make that possible. You know, I've even thought of the miracles of Jesus, and I would think from his perspective, it was no big deal in that it's just what he did because he knew how. Uh, is that kind of where we need to get to 
where we need to understand that we can do this too and we just need to accept that reality? I, th I think sort of. Here's what I think. I think it's where he was. It's where he was. So I think miracles exist in a plane, in a, in a, in a portal, through a portal, in a plane of existence that's higher, higher frequency, a higher vibration, like I said. So that when you and I are in our highest mode, our highest modality, clear-minded, not a lot of nervous, anxious thoughts, not a lot of monkey, monkey brain, not a lot of monkey mind, <laughs> but we're actually crystal clear and at peace. That's when we're most capable of being in the zone where miracles can be tapped into. That's where Jesus lived. He lived there. He was there. The Buddha was there. I think that, you know, that, that the great ascended masters, the great teachers were, were, they were there. That's why they, that's why miracles were common to them because they exist in that, in that field. They exist in that place. They, they played in that playground, you know? Yeah. And I think we need to, yeah. we need to familiarize, familiarize ourselves with it and to spend more time cultivating that same connection. Well, I couldn't agree with you more in that regard. There's so much that we have, um, I don't even want to say neglected, because in many cases we didn't, we, we were not aware. We have been taught to go in the opposite direction of this awareness. And now, uh, through our program, through your work, your book, your movie, and, and all of the things you're doing, and others as well, uh, the word is getting out that um, this is why we promote on this program choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. I have to also go back to this definition of healing again and an experience that I had at this radio station I was working for years ago where they had these prayer programs. And I used to wonder why over the years that they had these programs that the same people were calling in week after week, month after month, year after year, and it finally dawned on me that these individuals, this is what goes back to the concept of the definition of healing. It finally dawned on me that they were not looking for their healing, whether they had the genuine condition or not. They were looking for connection. They were looking for community. Do you find that happens a lot in your practice? It's not that they're hypochondriacs. Don't, you know, I don't want to accuse them of that, but they don't have a family. They don't have a community um, per se, you know, uh, that they can turn to, that they can lean on. They don't have a network uh, of people in their neighborhood. Maybe they live in a condo. I, I don't know where they live, but do you ever, do you, do you run across that uh, often in your practice? I do. And I think that, I think that we're, we're, we're tribal by nature. And I think that we're always looking for our tribe. And I think we find, we find a bit of our tribe in our family, a bit of our circle of friendship. Mm -hmm. I think we find it in our practitioners. I think we find it in our doctors. I think we find it in our, in our nutritionists, in our chiropractors. I think everybody has a, a, a circle of familiarity, a circle of friendship, a circle of love. Everybody has a tribe that they're, they're, they're trying to quicken with, a tribe they're trying to connect with and associate with. And I think especially when you think in terms of what disease represents. Disease represents isolation. Disease represents pain and suffering, like we said. Disease is, is an awkward an awkward process. Yeah. I think we, we're yeah. most in need of our tribe when we're, when we're suffering from disease. A big and important part of the healing process clearly is bringing, bringing yourself to your tribe. And there's no doubt about it. 
And you also talk about the 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 disease versus or and disease. Uh, what's uh, share with us uh, for those who may not be aware? Uh, what what's the big difference there? I think disease is a lack of ease. It's an anxiety. It's a depression. It's it's a it's a it's an emotional and a mental uh, process mm-hmm. where we're, we're not as at ease with our life and with our with our process in life as we might otherwise be. I think if we spend enough time in our lives in a state of ill ease or dis ease, we're not at ease, but we're anxious too much of the time. If we're depressed too much of the time, if we're tense, if we're stressed out too much of the time, we're lacking ease, I think we eventually produce physiological disease. So it's, it's kind of the psychosomatic componentry, you know, where if you feel funky at an emotional level, at a mental level, enough of the time, it's going to have a bearing on your physiology and your cells and your tissues and your organ, organs as well. So I think it's important to find peace and to cultivate peace or ease, if you will. And that produces a, a greater health factor. Dr. Mark Mincola is my guest. He is the author of The Way of Miracles, uh, uh, Accessing Your Superconsciousness, and he's also the executive producer of the film by the same name, The Way of Miracles. Thewayofmiracles.com is the website. Uh, all very easy to remember. And of course, doctor, we will be linked to your website so that people can access you directly, get in touch with you through uh, an email address. I'm sure that's available there, contact information to find out more. Yes. Uh, Deepak Chopra is actually quoted on the front cover that Mark uh, Mincola's personal journey of healing and his understanding of states of consciousness as the basis of all experience is, is profound. Now, what I find interesting is his, his phrase, three words here. Uh, actually, five words. <laughs> These uh, three words, it is actually the states, plural. The states of consciousness. Now, is that referring to our, as I learned in psychology class, um, uh, there's the conscious, the subconscious, and the superconscious, or uh, the, there's also the id and the ego and the superego, those kinds of things. Uh, are those the main uh, states, if you will, of consciousness, or, or are they delineated even further? I think both. I think they are the main states. I think there are additional delineations. I think there are, there are you get into brainwave states, there's like lambda states, there's... Uh, there's gamma, gamma bursts. They've identified gamma bursts. When they studied the, the Tibetan monks, they, they, they discovered that there was a way that they go into a deep meditative relaxation response, deeply relaxed, deeply relaxed, deeply relaxed. And in that deeper state of relaxation, lo and behold, there was a burst. There was a burst called mm-hmm. a gamma burst. And they, they never had, it was Dr. Herbert Benson and his crew from Harvard that first captured gamma bursts on camera. And they said that gamma bursts had never been captured by science. It was the first time they ever, ever were able to capture it. But gamma burst is, a, is an unusual state where, you, like I said, you go such a deep state of relaxation and peace and meditative, like delta brainwaves, state of brainwaves, that you burst out of it into a higher state. So it seems to suggest that our states are circular, not linear. Mm, that that okay. we go, go, deep, go deep as deep as you can go, and then before you know it, you went so deep, you're now exploding. So it's, it's a remarkable process, but states, I think states are limitless. I think, I think dimensions are limitless. I think we can, we can, we, we, we assume that there's three dimensions. Now we're talking five dimensions. 
I don't think there's a number to dimensions. I don't think states and dimensions are numerically limited. I think there's unlimited states, unlimited dimensions. That's my sense. And when you think about energy, there's no limit to energy. The energy is infinitesimal. Hmm. Well, they say that uh, uh, energy is you can't it, it will train it will change forms, but you can never destroy it. You can ne it will never disappear. Right. Neither be created nor destroyed, only transmuted. It only transmutes. Now, I interviewed a physicist because you're going into an area that most physicians, <laughs> medical people, don't go into when you're talking other dimensions. And he had he was a physicist who wrote a book about the fifth dimension, not the musical group. And we were we went to lunch. Uh, he he lives here in Santa Barbara, and we went to lunch one day. We're walking back to the station, and he starts describing to me. He says, "I can prove to you the existence of the first, the second, and the third dimensions: height, width, depth. I can show you a representation of the existence of the fourth dimension: time." He says, "But I cannot. I I I cannot." prove to you the existence of the fifth dimension and he began to describe what that was and I'm not going to go into it here because I don't recall what it was. All I know is after he described it to me I said as an individual who used to work at a religious station a kid who was born and raised Catholic the only description I can give to what you just said about what the fifth dimension is is three letters God and that's just one way of describing it. What about your, your, you know, you say there are unlimited dimensions, which I would agree with, but let's, let's talk about this concept of uh, the fifth dimension, and if, in fact, that's the case. You said that the universe isn't necessarily, it's not a place. We are the universe. Uh, <laughs> Marshall McClure might say, I am the universe, and the universe is me. Uh, but let me ask you about that aspect of our existence. We are immortal, right? I mean, on a spiritual level, we are immortal. Is that something that you uh, you agree with or kind of uh, uh, feel philosophically? Well, again, we, we are we are energy. Energy can neither be created nor destroyed, only transmuted. So there's no end to us. We are immortal. Okay. How, our, uh, let's put it this way. Our, 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 our physiological self is mortal. Our, our spiritual self is immortal. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to this aspect of healing, and I've used the example of my father's brother who was uh, terminal, had terminal cancer, and my wife and I, as I described earlier, we're both Reiki masters. We sent him an absentee healing, and uh, I was told after his funeral that uh, the day, uh, shortly the day after or so that we sent that absentee healing to him, uh, he got really angry and threw his medication across the room. He jumped in his wheelchair, wheeled across the compound where his family lived, or ranch, I guess it was, had this time of closure with his son for a few hours, and then shortly thereafter went back and got in his bed and he passed. He left, as it were. And, and that's why when I talk about this concept of healing, uh, it seems to me like healing is more of a, an aspect, and it can be in the mortal body, it can still happen in the mortal body, where we transcend or we transmute or we, or we convert that dis-ease or disease into uh, a, a, a non-stressful state. Uh, a state of ease, as you as you talked about earlier, is that is that maybe a better definition of healing that we are transmuting that energy into a, a an energy of ease rather than dis ease? 
It is. I think there's a, there's another component to it that's pretty important, however. Okay. I think the concept of understanding and appreciating wholeness is an important part of the process. So wholeness to me, I think of the Tai Chi circle. The, the, dark, the, the dark circle with the light interior, the, the light interior, the dark, and the dark circle of light interior. So I think that good and bad, death and life, uh, the, the dichotomies, the opposites, fit into the same circle. And the concept of separation is an illusion. I think if you take either part of the Tai Chi circle and remove it from the Tai Chi circle, you, you don't have a wholeness. Right. You have a semicircle. Right. So wholeness is, 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 the, is, the, is the key. I think that for us to be well, to be healthy, so to speak, in terms we're using here, we need to, we need to think of ourselves as whole. So we need to make make friends with our our more mortal fallen self, our mistake making self. Mm. I think there's a, there's been a lot of Judeo Christian criticism in guilt. You're a sinner. You're bad. And I think that we're all sinners. We're all bad. But we're all so divine. We've lost track of that wholeness. I think that the consonant healing embraces the notion of wholeness, forgiveness, and and embraces the notion of my higher self embracing my lower self and, and them being together and then being unified. And I think it's a, it's a concept that we need to, to get over as far as a lot of the Judeo Christian ethic that would have us think us ourselves as mere sinners and bad people and feel guilty and maybe penance and all that crap. I think that's just, that's, that doesn't work for me at all. I think healing, the ultimate, the ultimate healing comes with the concept of appreciating wholeness. You know, and, and appreciates the fact that we're, we're both divine and, and mortal at the same time. We're, 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 we're saint and sinner in the same breath. Yeah. I, I, uh, so as, as we wrap this program up, I, I often think about uh, uh, the, the definition of death. It has often been said that, uh, and uh, this is from the scriptures where uh, Paul is saying that it is appointed to every man once to die and then the judgment. Okay. Well, and then I go back to the Gospels and I read about where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And it's like, well, wait a minute. But Paul says, one time, you get to die once, but Lazarus gets to die twice. So what's the rule? And what is death? And how do we know? Uh, and sometimes I wonder uh, uh, if, if uh, uh, you know, we're, we're mortal physical beings in a, uh, with an immortal essence or core, if you will, and we worry an awful lot about this, this physical body, but that's where we live. That's the vehicle that we're in. And, and so we need to take care of it, regardless of how many times we get to die. Uh, so as we wrap this up, in terms of, a way of the way of miracles, um, I've often thought where Jesus tells his disciples about the miracles he's doing, and they want to learn how to do them too. It's kind of like, teach us that magic trick. Uh, and he says, ah, pff, these... Ah, you guys are going to do greater works than these. And I often think that the greater work in particular has to do with the transforming of our lives, both physically as well as mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Your thoughts? 100% agree. Absolutely right on. I think that, that back to what I said about holism, I think it, healing begins and ends from the perspective of self-love, self-acceptance, self-forgiveness, and the holism that we are both light and dark. And I think that healing begins with that and healing consummates with that. So 
I think that for us to really understand healing and to be to be able to translate healing into the disease component of life is important to take that, that concept of self-embrace, self-love, self-forgiveness, wholeness, and to really complete that process in your consciousness and to complete the, the process that for, for us to be physically healed from disease, mm-hmm. to have a fighting chance to actually mend ourselves, we need to love ourselves first. Yeah. And the best thing to do when it comes to loving oneself is to know oneself, as that wonderful phrase goes, know thyself. <laughs> and we do Absolutely need, true. We do need to do that. Dr. Mark Mincola, I want to thank you so much for being a part of Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as you give us uh, choices and knowledge of those choices to make help to help make our dreams come true, whether they be health dreams of, of uh, a radiant, uh, vibrant health uh, and uh, and ease. I like I like the concept of uh, a life of ease, at least from the standpoint of our health and, and wellness so that we can go on and fulfill our life's purpose, live out the dreams that we want, uh, have the, the relationships we want, and on and on and on. So uh, I thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Thank you, Richard. It was a great pleasure talking to you. I enjoyed it very much. And I appreciate your invitation. I also have three final questions for you before we wrap up the program, and you may have answered these questions somewhere in the context of the interview, but i like to ask them directly. But first, I need to address you, the listener and the viewer, and remind you that this program is here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. on our special edition of Tell Me Your Story, Wednesdays at 9 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We also have podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry iHeartRadio. We're also on Amazon Music and many other locations, and we thank you for reposting our interviews throughout, and be, be a subscriber, if you would, to any one of those. We're also available on YouTube, where you can watch these interviews. At YouTube, just go to Tell Me Your Story and look for the guy with the hat. And uh, we hope that you will subscribe there as well. And as of our conversation with uh, Dr. Mark uh, Mark Mincola, we are at 37,000 podcast listens through SoundCloud. We are now up to 29 subscribers on YouTube, and I'm just grateful for the numbers. They're great numbers. I'm, I'm greatly appreciative. Also encourage you to participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. Spend that time listening to your still small voice in that quiet, peaceful place, and that's your inner life, and we hope that you will take some time to do that. And we also ask that if you can support this broadcast financially, we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, We have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. And all you have to do is um, send a contribution uh, through the email richard at richarddugan.com. The, Mir- the Way of Miracles is the title of the book, the film, and thewayofmiracles.com is the website will be linked to. And now for my final three questions, and they are number one, who is Mark Mincola? Mark Mincola is a soul that's got a body wrapped around it and has a mind with intention to spread healing, to make a difference in, on planet Earth before he leaves, and cares about love and healing measurably. 
What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I hope to achieve a greater connection with consciousness that I wish to share with my fellow man. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is to love and to expand my awareness and my consciousness into the daily work that I do and into my daily process so that I can share the light that comes from it. Well, Dr. Mark Mincola, again, I thank you so much for uh, giving us uh, such an abundance of time talking about the way of miracles, accessing your uh, super consciousness. And we hope that you will go to the website of uh, the doctor, and that is thewayofmiracles.com. I'm Richard Dugan. This has been Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast, videocast, love to lol.